What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Bones Brigade Audio Show. I'm Larry, and with me, as always, is Matt. Matt, what's going on, buddy? What's up, man? How are you? Doing good, doing good. Here we are at episode 33, and we're going to continue our coverage of the video Chaos with Jim Fitzpatrick. He's back for part two. It's going to be great. Indeed. And uh, Matt. Yeah. So we like to chit-chat a little bit before we kind of dig into the topic at hand well what do we got you got any uh hot topics for us this week you know because i'm coming i'm a little dry in the hot topic category this week come on man this episode came up (laughs) very good um it was hawk's birthday recently that's right gotta give a shout out to Birdman, right 55 years old i think yeah happy birthday tony yeah a couple days ago crazy right 55 doesn't sound that old when you're 45 but from the perspective of a 13 my year brain, old which, my brain, which still is, is 13 years old. I'm like, how was Tony Hawk 55 years old? That's yeah, crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, happy birthday to Tony from all of us here at Bones Brigade Audio Show. Yep. And Tony, don't think you're going to escape us. We're going to be uh, knocking on your door pretty soon to come join <laughs> us over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So speaking of classic Bones Brigade stuff, which we talk about a lot that's yes, not very yeah. that's not, yeah, very that's not a stretch topic. for the show yeah not a stretch my brother hit me up the other day with a photo uh, he texted me my brother lives up in seattle and he sent me this photo and it's a screenshot of a craigslist ad and it's an 88 lance mountain future primitive yellow oh, wow. you know og white trackers and crossbones oh, wow and the ad said uh, something to the effect of, here, I'll read it. Actually, I still have it. Okay. Lance Mountain, Powell Peralta skateboard in okay condition. Pictures show the condition. $50. Whoa. Firm on, firm on price. Open to trades for a longboard or something else. <laughs> I so love my, the open the trade. Open type to trade. Listing. Yeah. Firm on 50 bucks. Wow. Firm. I, I won't go any lower. Yeah. So my brother goes. <laughs> and my brother, my brother skates. Uh, he skates probably way more than I do actually these days. Oh, wow. Uh, he doesn't have kids either, but, um, so he skates, he's not a kook. He's been around the block. He was at the band, this premiere and all that stuff, you know, but he's not a collector type. He's not tapped into the collector market. Not not at all. So he, he, he sent that to me and he said, is this worth 50 bucks? And you're like, Holy, I'm like, dude, if that's still available, like, don't like hit that dude up right now and get that board. Yeah. So did he get it? He got it. Oh, that's somehow awesome. he got it because here's the weirdest part. Okay. It was he said it was up for nine hours. Okay. Before he reached out to the guy. Mm-hmm. Somehow that board was up for nine hours at 50 bucks. And wow. this thing is in not, Seattle. That's like a big city Se- where yeah, yeah, in Seattle. And uh, you know, it had a it had a tailbone on it, so the tail was was saved. The graphic was in good condition. It had a little, I mean, it was worn, you mm-hmm. know, it, it had a little bit of wear, but great displayable board. I, That's cool. I, I'm sure he's, you know, he's entertaining offers from all across the the globe for it now. 
yeah it's, it's one of those oh he, he wants to flip it maybe or does he want to keep it well i put po- i i posted it on one of the facebook groups okay the facebook and they groups. the sharks just come out they like came crazy. out yeah. yeah they came out they they were like tell your brother like he's looking to sell <laughs> that's amazing my that's brother's not story. on facebook though so uh okay he, yeah i just thought it was so funny that he was like is this worth 50 bucks i'm like oh my god that's a that's a dream score for 50 yeah bucks. i would especially these that. days yeah. it's like seeing bigfoot you just don't yeah. find that anymore you know like yeah. how did you find the one guy selling a skateboard that doesn't have access to ebay or google or something you know what i mean yeah yeah and yeah so he managed to get it for 50 bucks and great good for him i'm glad he got it so That's awesome. I told Super him I give cool. him hundred. I told him I give him a hundred for it, and that text went unanswered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always see some good stuff on Facebook. Man, you need to really act immediately because I'll be like, "Oh, that's a pretty good deal. Maybe I should go get that." And then oh, I yeah. think about it for a day or two, and then I'll be like, "Yeah, I think yeah, I should go get it." And then I go back, and it's it's already it's gone. gone. Yeah, yep, that's true. Yeah, the time to buy is when you see it. That's exactly right. So speaking of classic skateboarding graphics our friend from the axe rated episode larry oh yes bass matt bass which incidentally axe rated dropped about a year ago exactly that's on this crazy on this day a year ago Yeah. yeah but our friend matt bass from axe rated is a documentarian mm-hmm. and he has done a video that Larry film. and I had a film, a film, yeah. not a skate video, a film that Larry and I had the privilege of watching early on in mm-hmm. a I think uh, we saw an earlier edit, draft or cut early of draft it. of it. Yeah. That he showed us before he came on the show, which was super generous. Yeah, I want to see it again. I'm super stoked yeah. to be able to see that. But that uh video is premiering, Larry, I believe, right? Uh yeah, skate face is the name face. of the documentary. It's premiering in Los SK8. Angeles. Yep. Yeah. Uh, May 28th, which I think this is, that's the same day that this episode, this episode will coming be coming out. out. So yeah. you're listening to this episode on May 28th, skate face is coming out today. If you're listening to this episode on the 29th skate face came out yesterday. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, I'm sure there'll be been... more stuff coming. So everyone go get tuned into skate face on yeah. Instagram yes. and that you'll get all the yeah. news over there. Yep. So congrats, Matt, on, on yes. getting, that, getting that out there. It's been and, a uh, long, long time. Yeah, he, he told us he'd been working on that for several years. So I know, because I can think about maybe like when it was first announced or whatever, that yeah. was like four houses ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like four moves ago, you know? Yeah. One yeah. less kid ago, and it's just crazy. Yeah, it's basically like if, if there's any fans of Disposable that listen to the show, and I'm sure there are plenty, it's kind of like a... Uh, the film, film version of version the of disposable book. disposable book yeah 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 so um yeah good for you matt thanks thanks again for coming on the show can't believe that was a year ago already, yeah man. wow that's insane i don't even know what episode that was seven six yeah maybe i don't know crazy well here we are on 33 man who would have wild thought? wild yep anything else what do you got you know i don't have anything <laughs> no i purchased a book What'd you get? It's not really related to anything about the show or skateboarding. I bought, I'm yeah. a big fan of uh, Bruce Springsteen's album, Nebraska. And okay. uh, uh, there's a book that just came out about the the total like making of, mm-hmm. you know, the, the writing and recording process, like all of it. It's called uh, Deliver Me From Nowhere, the making of, you know, Springsteen's Nebraska or whatever. So, okay. Super Very good. Cool. Yeah. I just started it. I'm already captivated. So I'm just going to burn through that thing. Sweet. All yeah, right, man. 
Good deal. Yeah, I need to read more books. I just don't read books that much anymore. I need to get back. Yeah, to this it. is rare that I've, I've you know, I'm going to try to make the time. It's just everything is just yeah. no time yeah. for anything these days. Also, my eyes are so bad, dude. I need like, I need to wear like readers with my glasses on because <laughs> I'm so, I'm so nearsighted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and like, I have to either hold the book like directly to my face, like mm -hmm. an idiot or yeah. like, I look like a, I just have like multiple glasses on to make it like. It's it's absurd, dude. Getting yeah. old sucks. Sometimes I have to put something like an inch from the light, like a bare <laughs> light. Like I was like, I cannot read what this says. I need to put it right next to the light bulb. Yeah. So I should old, probably old get my dudes, eye old dudes out. complaining yeah. about their old eyes. dude problems. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Welcome. We should start a spinoff podcast where we just <laughs> gripe about our ailments. Yeah. All right. Enough of this. All right. All let's right. Get, uh, let's get our friend back here. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show, Jim Fitzpatrick. <laughs> All right. He is back for Chaos Part Two. Did I say <laughs> it? How did I say it correctly? Chaos. Yeah. Chaos. chaos. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny how the word chaos has been predominant in the news for the last couple of days. There's a lot of chaos taking place. Oh, there definitely Indeed. is. Definitely you know, and I, I think, you know, before we jump into it, you know, it's interesting that, you know, Craig and Stacy, Craig Stesick and Stacy Peralta made fun of um, television and traditional information sharing. You know, we blew up a television every chance we had. <laughs> and it was, you know, a subtle point of information for the audience of these skate videos to the audience of skateboarders around the world that you know a television wasn't necessarily the source of information but in chaos it was a conscious decision on my part to not blow up a television but to blow up the content of what was broadcast on television and that's that opening sequence so instead of blowing up the mechanical apparatus i chose to blow up all of the information and and you know there's some shocking images in there that should I don't know if people paid attention to them. It's like, wow, this is scary, weird, transformative, whatever. So that's maybe where we start. I don't know. Oh, we were just go. getting into the skateboarding, I think, <laughs> to the secret. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I we actually, I had a question real quick. So we had a, uh, uh, somebody comment uh, on our Instagram, and this has come up before, Larry. We've, we've kind of discussed this before, but I'm going to read this comment real quick. On the chaos video, I had, we had a, a person say, I have this on videotape. When the video is done, after a couple of minutes, it transfers over into the last bits of propaganda. So I think they used old propaganda tapes for chaos. I'm wondering if you have any insight into that. Because Larry, you have something too, right? Yeah, you can see the label of another. I'll save that for that episode. But yeah, I definitely have a sticker in, uh, on a tape that you can see the sticker of another video underneath it. Yeah. Just wondering if that was uh, something that you could shine some light on. Shine some light on it. Um, <laughs> there were, um, but that, you know, that calls to question. It's like, okay, so you, you go to a production house. We went to a production house and we turned in our master tape. We did our, uh, we created a master tape in a facility in Santa Barbara that was at the time was uh, like, contracted to cox cable or cox 
communications. And uh, then that master tape was sent to a production facility, which is actually in San Fernando Valley, where lots of videotapes get duplicated I some of dubious nature yeah we got okay. you so but so and those businesses are all bonafide <laughs> but there were some you know we would make our own dupes in in the edit bay okay. and if we needed a vhs tape to make a copy we would grab one off the shelf and was one a videotape that had already been used it i i would guess it wasn't a conscious choice it's like oh yeah let's just record over this Mm-hmm. But it, it it's possible, you know. This is one of you know. This is a highly sophisticated organization, the Powell Corporation, Powell Peralta Skateboards. It's a multi-million-dollar industrial giant, and mm-hmm. things like this would never happen. They happen, <laughs> they, they happen all the they happened all the time <laughs> because somebody needed a dupe or somebody needed a copy of the video. So here, make them a copy and give it to them. And then where does that copy of the video go? And it, does it get resold? Does it get lost? Did it get stolen out of somebody's car? I mean, yeah, so it's possibility. Well, at least you guys, uh, you know, never had any like, you know, porn just start playing after one of your videos was over. No, that's true. At well, least there that was we know that of. Other, yeah, I mean, there was that other video. Yeah, but, yeah <laughs> at least. Well, that was like uh, Big Brother magazine when it was owned by Hustler. They accidentally sent the Hustler subscriptions out to the Big Brother subscribers. <laughs> yeah, that was a big accident already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had that conversation. I had that conversation with Larry Flint and Rocco. You know, and I mean, Larry's Larry Flint's whole point was just trying to get the addresses of young kids. So, you know, that's why he funded Big Brother and that's why he bought it. You know, that's where all the money came from. Larry was a brilliant guy. And, you know, not to say that, you know, other people in that industry weren't brilliant, but um, yeah, so that was a, you know, so suddenly they had like a mailing list of, uh, I don't know what, 90,000 kids under the age of 16 who were, you know, uh, subscribing to Big Brother and, oh, look what they could send them. (laughs) So crazy. It is. All right. So where we left off last time. We were transitioning from Lance Conklin into Steve Caballero. Ah, yes. This part is super good. I feel like it would be like a finale type part. He's also still on a tear, but I also love that at this point in 19, is this 1992 or 92? Yeah, 1992. He's already like a million years old at this point. So you get like a little history lesson at the beginning. Like you get some historical clips, like check me out. Here's Steve Caballero in 1981. Cause you can't even fathom 1981. And you know, it's just like, I cannot yeah. even, you know, I wasn't skateboarding yet. It's like 1981. Oh my God. It's like in 1986 hearing minor threat and they're like learning. They broke up in 1983. You know, it's only three years later, but it's just like, it might as well be a hundred years. I like that. There's like, you're getting a little history lesson here. Yeah, yeah, and you know the funny thing is, is that you know last last year in in videotaping uh, uh, for the video project that we were working on, you know we we went to Steve's house in, in Carlsbad, and and Mike McGill was there, and we talked. We and it goes back to Matt's question of our you know first version or first uh, episode on 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 this chaos tape is like, you know, did did I, did they ever think that they would be still skateboarding at the level they're skateboarding? Would they still be involved? And 
you know, I the amazing thing for me is that Cab is still an authentic skateboarder. It's not like he's an old guy, you mm. know, stumbling around a skate park or stumbling around a, a pool or something. I mean, the guy, he rips, you know, he rips like a an 18 year old or like he when he was 12 years old. Yeah. And then, but the depth and breadth of his involvement in skateboarding and, and his involvement in his own marketplace, you know, he's, He's selling decks. He's selling artwork. He's selling uh, a lifestyle. He's marketing. He is devoted to his craft of promoting and and presenting Steve Caballero, mm-hmm. and and he does it as genuinely as anybody in any business at any time. I mean, and and Mike because he has the retail outlet. I mean, you know the. You know, Mike's uh, store, they just had this celebration a couple of months ago. Uh, You know, I think it was the 30th anniversary or something of his retail shop in Encinitas. And it was like a grand reopening. And then, you know, so the the biggest disappointment was that there was too many people there. And thousands of people were in line. And, you know, some people left the store. Some, Some of the people who were signing autographs and things left the store and went out in the line to sign so that people wouldn't be entirely disappointed but mike you know he's a really and he you know a modern contemporary skateboarder is today and it wasn't what they had 30 years ago because you know cab would call me up Mike would check in with me tony would check in more often with todd hastings than myself it's like Okay, so what have we got? So we've got the upcoming summer tour. We've got the world tour. We've got some appearances to make. So that was dependent upon myself and Todd to schedule public appearances, tour appearances, contest contest appearances, etc. And now all of those things are done independently by Mike, by Tony, by Steve, you know, by all of these individual, you know, in their own individual. I guess you could call it businesses and, and marketing and promotions. Tommy Guerrero too. So I don't know. It's, it's fascinating. So there's cap and he's, you know, I think this sequence in chaos is as valid as any sequence of in cap of cab in any of the, you know, skate videos. I agree. Definitely. Totally. Yeah. I also think, you know, we hear the term street cab, you know, in relation to Steve Caballero. And I think this is, when I hear that term, I'm thinking, you know, his nineties street skating dominance where he was like doing stairs and handrails and stuff like that. I think this is kind of like where you first see the the germs of that happening here. So this is the beginning of street cab in my mind. Yeah, you get a lot of you you get a lot of facets of cab in this part. You get like yeah. his some music clips and just some serious gaps and stairs and fixing yeah. motorcycles. Yeah, yeah, his trophy case. But I mean, you really do see like, and and nobody doubted how good he was, but you really see how well he's hanging in there with the generation that's kind of coming up behind him that a lot of people yeah. were not able to, they weren't really able to, to stay on board that train and, and Cab always, always was able to. Yeah. And I, you know, he and I have, have talked a lot about this and it wasn't so much that he was trying to prove something. He was his his real interest was just letting people know that he could do this. 
I, I can do this. I can do this. Oh, by the way, I can do handrails. By the way, I can ollie and, you know, ollie 180 down, you know, eight or nine stairs or 10 stairs. I can, I can bail and get seriously hurt doing a handrail. I mean, he was, was like, oh, you guys want me to do this? I can do this. So it was, there was a little bit of a proving ground, I think, in all of that. But, you know, if you, you know, I mean, from a certain standpoint, you know, what would he prefer to do? Would it be a grind around, you know, a board slide around a pool forever? Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah, he does uh, that. He he blasts over like two stacked trash cans, and he clears it by like a foot. A foot. Yeah. I like out of this bowl. I mean, he had to be ten feet. I mean, like yeah, uh, like by today's standards, I would say that's completely gnarly. Like yeah. that would go in a in a video today. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, like, you know, he's, we've talked about Cab a lot on this show. I think he's the most well-rounded skateboarder of all time, personally. Like, I, I don't agree. think, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's anybody that, that you could say is as good at all terrains as he is. And it's funny because, you know, now that I've known him for more than 30 years and I've had a variety of different experiences with him, I would say he's an amazingly well-rounded person too. And, you know, I, I think that's where this weird overlap, it goes back again to your question, Matt. It's like, could any of these skaters imagine that they'd be doing this 30 years later? Could any of them have imagined that they would be the type of person they are today after all these decades of skateboarding? You know, and, and it's, it's hard to separate the personality, the character, and the ability because they're all overlapped. And, and then... You know, here's Cab with his band Urethane, and they're killing it. They're so yeah, yeah. So he, it's like you know, it's not that he's Midas. He's not everything he touches doesn't turn to gold, but it's pretty close. And he's very humble in all of it. You know, he's not he's not done yet becoming who he is. And I, I think that's you know, I think that's a real you know, I strong friendship with Bucky and, you know, different members of the brigade and they're not done yet. They're still becoming who they're going to be. Yeah. Cab just posted something like he wiped, what is he mountain biking and he wiped out and he, just, yeah. he's showing all these scars yeah, and everything. Rash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I said, my comment to that was, well, not quite sausage man criteria, but close. Yeah. <laughs> You do get a little Lance Mountain sighting in this part too, which is pretty cool. Oh yeah. yeah. So the end transitioning into yeah. the Chris Sen. So yeah. how does Lance come in the mix for this little skit? I guess you maybe call it. Well, you know, just by circumstance. I mean, he was, you know, I was trying to um, do everything I could for Lance and Yvette when, uh, when all of that transition was taking place. And by 93, um, I had launched, I asked the International Association of Skateboard Companies as a trade association. And so Lance was trying to figure out how the firm would be independent and be available with product with, you know, in some other way, because he couldn't afford full page ads and thrasher or Transworld. And so how do you how do you join the marketplace? If you're not in the marketplace and uh, ultimately I was able to uh, give Lance the opportunity to use 
um, action sports retailer provided me a suite at the arenas where we were having our retailer trade expo. And then Lance was able to come in and set up literally a shop. And I could, in, I could encourage quote unquote retailers and other people of interest to come through and, and visit with Lance and Yvette as they uh, sat there peddling their wares. So I, I would like to think that Lance and I have always had a really positive relationship in terms of, I don't know, business, marketing, how things operate in the real world as opposed to just in skateboarding. I can remember he asked Stesic and I, we were sitting one day. <laughs> God. Have I have I told you this before? The earwax thing? I don't think so. No. Uh, well, so we were in the design department, and my I had a I had I had you know the art or design department, and Lance was complaining about a headache and an earache, and uh, I said, well, you know, how often do you clean your ears? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, <laughs> you know, you, you got to clean your ears, right? And he says, what are you talking about? So I, you know, I pulled back the hair over his ear and I looked in his ear and it was like a wax factory. It was, it was, <laughs> it was nearly bubbling with, uh, you know, semi-viscous wax. And I said, holy shit, Lance, your ears. He, he said, what, what should I do? And I said, well, let's, we'll go down to the pharmacy and get some, you know, peroxide. We'll pour some in there. Oh my God. So we go, <laughs> I, I mean, it was the most hysterical laugh I've ever heard in my life. I poured some peroxide into his ear and he started laughing. So I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but, you know, I mean, peroxide will bubble. It was like a volcanic ex explosion. It was like, you know, the Cambrian period or something. And, and, and the wax started bubbling out of his ear and, and he started laughing so hard. <laughs> oh my god so wonderful but the offshoot the reason for mentioning it was at the end of that conversation so he, he asked he said so you know we live in california how much money do i need to make to raise my family in california i mean what, what would be like a reasonable salary because he'd never had a job you know he'd never worked for wages or a salary and and with without hesitation stessig and i both said oh a hundred thousand dollars a year and lance's eyes popped open his ears i must have opened up too and he said a hundred thousand dollars and stessig said well we live in southern california i mean you gotta make at least a hundred thousand dollars i mean you're gonna be in you know in, in in the poverty level so that was you know inadvertently we set a goal for lance in terms of what the firm or what his company or what he was going to, you know, set out to be able to do. So he was around and that um, Crescent sequence, you know, we almost went away in, in handcuffs because of that sequence. I mean, there, you know, the, the highway patrolman that pulled us over was ultimately was very forgiving. And the, the reason was, and I can't remember his name right now, but the chief of the station of the highway patrol was about a mile from Powell Peralta Skateboards headquarters in Goleta. And the chief's daughter had ballet danced with my daughters who were featured in an ad with Eric Sanderson and Ray Barbie. Um, and my daughters uh, danced ballet. They were part of the same company with this you know, young dancer. 
And uh, I knew the dad, the head, the chief of the California Highway Patrol. So at a, a certain point while I was videotaping, the guy trying to write Chris sent a ticket. I mentioned uh, Chief, God, I wish I could remember his name. It might come to me. So that changed the whole course of, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And that changed the whole course of that conversation. And that was, you know, me sitting in the back with the L1 Canon and the wide angle lens videotaping this guy. He didn't know he was being videotaped. And we had, you know, Chris had a Nova, Chevy Nova that he had rebuilt with his dad. And we were going, I think, 112 miles an hour on the freeway that goes out to uh, the airport in Santa Barbara. And it's a stretch of a, it's basically, I think, 2.1 miles of four lane freeway without any on ramps or exit ramps. It's just a straightaway. And Chris just stood up on the accelerator, went through all four gears and we were flying. And this highway patrolman was going in the opposite direction. Oh. <laughs> and we went by and it took him, it took him. Uh, we, we got all the way back to Goleta and we were in Goleta, downtown Goleta on Calle Real, pulling into the uh, bowling alley when this guy came up behind us, whoop, 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 with lights and bells and whistles. And he couldn't believe it. He was like, you know, he was just stymied. He, he, he said, how fast were you going? And Chris said, I, I, and then I started some line about we were working on this anti-drug, you know, documentary for, uh, you know, trying to help kids you know, the D.A.R.E. program and, you know, just BS on top of BS. And you tried to use the Stacy excuse for the chin ramp being, well, uh, yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much. I mean, it, you know, it works. Nice. Okay, let's, let's hold on a second, because I got a couple questions going back a little bit. So Lance didn't know he needed to clean his ears. <laughs> and he had lived like 35 years, never cleaning his ears. I, I I wouldn't go that far, Larry. I you know, I'm sure he cleaned his ears on a regular basis. Maybe this was <laughs> exceptional just, just a rare occurrence. It, that it looked like a decade's worth of of wax in his ears, though. Okay. No, and it was fun. There's... We can stop the episode right right there. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's skit of trans of transitioning from cab to Chris. Yeah. Cab, it's like Cab's the straight guy. Lance is the funny man. They're like, it's like Abbott and Costello and they're both playing it so perfect. And I'm guessing, so I'm guessing like instinctually, they just, without even planning or even being told what to do, maybe just from being friends and going through the animal chin process, like they just knew what to do. And Cab, I can't even believe Cab is delivering those lines and not laughing. Like, I didn't even know he could drive. And then Lance is just like, I'm out of here and just goes back on the door. It's all so funny. I think that's accurate. I think instinctually, I think, you know, I mean, the funny thing is, is that at that point, Lance and Stevie, you know, and Tommy, I mean, and, and Tony, I mean, they'd known each other already for 10 years. Mm-hmm. In, in 1992, they, they'd known each other since the mid 80s. And they'd skated together. They'd been in videos together. They'd been in ads together. They'd been in contests together. And, and that's what I didn't know. I, I didn't know the longevity of the relationships that they already had. I mean, I met them in 87 and got to know them better in 88. And when we went on tour in 88, and 89 and 90, I mean, that's when we really all got to know each other and I got to know them well. And to rely upon them for 
uh, spontaneous theatrics like that. You know, and it's, I mean, Lance is really good at spontaneous silliness and which could be translated as very sophisticated theater. That is true. That is true. Well, it's cool to see Lance back in a, in a pile video just for yeah. a minute. Yeah, yeah. It felt like so long already, even after like, it's been a year or something, <laughs> you know, since yeah. maybe like we saw him in eight was like the last time in yeah. a pile yeah. video. Yeah. Yeah. Still cool. Yeah. Now springing ahead back to Chris Sen, that's you in the car filming that scene in the car. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we would have got away with it entirely, but there was a stretch of road that connected downtown Goleta that, that exposed us after the high speed antics. And that's where we got trapped. Mm. And then there was a red light and then the guy caught up with us and that's when he hit the, so so Chris is skating. I know he's like, all, he's in San Diego. He's in Los Angeles. So I remember his first couple of uh, video parts, he's just strictly Grass Valley. So it's interesting to see him continue to be out and about yeah. in the rest of California. Yeah. And I think my, actually, my favorite thing he does, he does a boneless over the hip at Los Feliz School. It's already like throwback. It's just like this ancient trick that you would not see <laughs> at all at this point. Yeah, this part is... Uh super gnarly but man there's some parts in this video where i all i can focus on is the the pants go like what's going on in the pants category yeah there's one scene he's got like a purple shirt and like yeah. burgundy pants <laughs> burgundy it's like, yeah it's really bad yeah. size 48 yeah. waist <laughs> big pants small wheels yeah mm -hmm. it was an interesting time for fashion yeah it was it was definitely but definitely one of the gnarlier dudes everything's super fast everything's like super dialed and he's just got well you know flow. chris chris you know came into the powell world powell peralta skateboard world through the quartermaster cup and he showed up from you know there was a shop up there in sacramento in grass valley and he showed up and you know per wellander was just he was shocked he couldn't believe the speed and the technical aspect and you know chris i mean he was isolated he was up in grass valley i mean grass valley is a small little community that's northeast yeah. of sacramento and they just skated like maniacs in their community and they you know they didn't really have a lot of outside influence other than magazines and videos but they you know as chris pointed out they didn't really pay very much attention to that anyway and I, I can remember his his first practice run at the in the quartermaster cup. I my memory is is that this is when the quartermaster we were in the parking lot. The skate zone hadn't opened up yet, and we were in the parking lot for the first round of the contest. And Pear was essential in helping Todd and I and Katie get the whole contest format smoothed out and organized, and the whole idea of working with retailers and the retailers putting together teams and these were all amateurs um amateur teams with as many as you know three different age groupings I mean, it was a pretty sophisticated setup and the whole like you know people accused us of using this as a way to recruit you know new skaters for the team what you know, you said, <laughs> what what do yeah you why mean? would we not we, do that we would never do anything like that and of course, that's exactly what it was. And we were just looking for the top skaters in, in the Western town. United States. Yeah. And, 
and I can remember Chris, I mean, it was like the first time he, he I mean, he pumped a across the parking lot and was going insanely fast he went up you know i don't know and then you know a, a quarter pipe maybe or just like a launch ramp or whatever and you know ground across the wall and you know pear was like who the fuck is that i mean <laughs> you, could tell, you could tell so instantly excited. yeah yeah i mean it was just like yeah it was like oh my god we, who is that we need to get that guy right away and you know he was you know, he wasn't necessarily, you know, sociable or charming or any of those things. He was just a gnarly, hardcore skater who went really fast and really big. And and that was, you know, that was all he needed to do. If you can impress Per Wellander, then you're yeah. good to go, right? That's right. <laughs> as long as you don't offend Todd Hastings, because that's the political balance right there. Because go. Todd was the team manager. Stacy was no longer around. So everything had to go through Todd, you know, and okay. Todd had Todd had his own opinions and he had his own guys, you know, and Frankie was one of Todd's guys because he was a local guy. So at this point was Pear, like what, what was Pear's role with, with Powell? Was he, he was at this point in the game, was he still part of the, I company? think he was, he might've been called the marketing manager. Okay. And, you know, at one point, a couple of years later, Pear asked, when I was the executive director of the International Association of Skateboard Companies, Pear asked me to write a reference letter because he was applying to the UCLA uh, master's degree program at UCLA. And I said, sure, I can write you a letter. And so I, you know, I was really good at writing those letters. And uh, after I submitted the letter, Pear said, wow, Fitz, thank you so much. That I think your letter may have made the difference. And I said, well, of course it did. <laughs> you know, he, he ended up with a master's degree in business, business administration from UCLA. You know, and he was, he was, very, he was very computer savvy. Uh, at that point, it was funny because he was big. John Lytle was the other guy, but Pear was very big on convincing George to switch from PCs to Apple's. And as far as um, management and uh, file management, and I was working on some document or something, and Pear came into my workstation. We were about 50 feet away from each other, and Pear came into my little office, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm saving this document, you know, to my desktop. And he said, well, why don't you put it in a file? And I said, what do you mean? So I, I had an Apple, I think an Apple II at home. And then I had the PC that I used to like communicate in-house at Powell. And Pear said, well, here, just create a file and save the file to the desktop. And I said, what? So he showed me and he, he said, now put that document in that file. And I said, what? what? So he showed me, you know, and it was like, wow. I mean, this was like a, a liberation of technological sophistication that I had never anticipated. <laughs> and all of a sudden I had a series of files on my desktop and I had documents of different natures in those files that had, you know, and it was like, oh my God, I have a digital file folder, file filing cabinet on my, uh, so I have, you know, I've, I, I think I thanked Pear once about, you know, for that sophistication. So that was pretty funny. That was one of the benefits for me. Well, but he was in charge of marketing and he yeah. would go, you know, he would go to, you know, the meetings, the manager meetings, and he would make, you know, reports and he would say, well, you know, we you know, got 27% and, you know, and we got 18% and 32%. Yeah. His, uh, his business savvy is well, well documented, you know, uh, everyone knows what he went on to do. 
within yeah. the, the skateboarding world. Yeah. But it's still kind of cool to hear about like this guy that you, you know, I just kind of grew up and I remember seeing a parallel under demo and all that stuff. And to think like, man, the, the, the brain behind that guy was just, you know what I mean? Just, he went on to do so much. Yeah, well, you know, so he and Rodney and, and Don Brown and I have talked about this. It's like, yeah. well, so the skateboard industry is run by freestylers. Why yeah. wouldn't it be? Because they have to think about their, you know, they're not just going out and skateboarding. They're thinking about their routines and they, you know, they do this, this, and this, and then they do that, that, and that. And, you know, so it's, it's you know, I mean, so you take Pierre Andre and you, you, you look at all of these companies, you know, I mean, even Steve Rocco, you could say that Steve Rocco was a freestyler. Oh, and, he totally was. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, you know, you look at all of these people and it's like, oh my God, these are thoughtful young men who can skateboard and look and, and then you throw in the idea that gee they, they don't sell very many boards so why do the other boards sell so many oh and you know so you start connecting the dots and you realize oh these guys are really good at the business aspect of this yeah how how late did we're getting a little off subject but i just while we're talking like i remember pair <laughs> no i remember pair wellander having what was that? The last model he had, it was like that sperm under the microscope with the yes. helmet on that yes. was still, what, what was that? was early nineties, right? 91, 92. Like that was, I, I'm going to say 90 drifting. Cause that was a Sean Cliver project. Okay. And, and it was really, it, it may have contributed to, you know, the actual dismissal of Sean Cliver because it, <laughs> I mean, that project got so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Because they were, you know, it started out with naked women and, you know, all sorts of sexual innuendo. And then it got broken down to the basic elements. You've got an egg and you've got <laughs> sperm and the sperm has to have a, you know, a, some sort of Danish helmet on or warfare, you know. So, I mean, it just got ridiculous. <laughs> so um, funny. I know. <laughs> but I was, th I was just thinking like Para would have up and up until pretty recently before this video, like maybe within the last year of yeah. 90, 90, He still had a board with Powell, but I think by this point he probably was not. Yeah. I think the, the graphic carried it a lot. You know, the graphic was a favorite. Oh yeah. And if you look like, if you, if you look at the popsicles of today, my memory is, is that the sperm graphic, that board was pretty, you know, it got away from um, his previous board and yeah. it was almost a double ender. Yeah. I remember it being like, kind of like the Mike V barnyard or like the vision, the double vision, or it was like one of those kind of more rectangular. Yeah. You know, it was uh, wide. Yeah. 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 I could be wrong. I, I, I never had one, but yeah. Anyway, Parawellander uh, got sidetracked on some Parawellander, but Hey, it's all right. That's <laughs> all right. So Chris Sen transitions into Frankie Hill's part by entering the skate zone. And then you and Frankie yeah. share a little conversation about what kind of tricks he's been pulling that day and he comments on your lens and then we yeah frank yeah i i think i mentioned that before you know frank he, he was a good friend of the camera and, and he knew that the camera was something that you know he could utilize and you know that that lens that i had at that point was um very impressive physically and it's funny because if you have the right camera at the right time, people knew you were serious. You know, if you had an old VHS camera up on your shoulder and, you know, you didn't have a wide angle lens, it's like, 
who's the rank amateur? But that, I think that lens was like, you know, an $1,100 lens. And for a while, the L1 was, I mean, that was the shit as far as the video camera was concerned. And that lasted about, I'm going to say six months, maybe, maybe learned and, you know, high def sort of, um, you know, and, and then it was, I think it was about a year later when I was in Vancouver, when Damon Way showed me his little mini high eight camera that shot 16.9 and it had a wide angle lens on it also. And it was, it was smaller than the palm of my hand. And he said, check this out. And I I said, why? And he said, because this is the future. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know if Canon had given him the you know camera or what, but David was, it was like, you know, just check this out. And I did. I shot video. I think we were in a restaurant. We were all having dinner and Danny was there and you know, other people were there and Bernquist was there. And I just thought, oh my God, because my camera was in my bag. And I thought, okay, so here's this camera. And here's this camera. And this is, he, Damon was right. This was the future. There you go. But Frank liked that camera. And, and, you know, we did some good things with that camera, especially in the skate zone. Definitely. This seems like a little bit of a, you know, Frankie's kind of known for the big gaps and handrails and stuff. And we don't get really too much of that here. It's a little more technical, low to the ground. On flat ground stuff. Yeah. Flippy maneuvers, ledges, that type of thing. So it's, Interesting to see kind of little Frankie's evolving here. Yeah, I think there was maybe it was the you know uh, prelude to injuries. Uh, he he could have been he could have been hurt. There there might have been pain involved in in all of that. I mean he you know he ended up with serious serious knee problems could be attributed to those gaps and, you know and that monster thing at Dos Pueblos etc. I mean. He did a lot of skating in a short period of time that was really physically demanding. Definitely. And then ultimately, you know, he came back, you know, he, you know, was like, okay, so how do I get this paid for? Yeah. You know, and that's that, you know, that was, that was after our trip to Mexico. I would say Frankie was like one of the pioneers of the big, the big stuff, like the going big hucking, you know, kind of mentality. Like he's kind of one of the first dudes, you know, I remember definitely like even in public domain going as far back as public domain like yeah huge huge stair sets and stuff where he lands super low and you know throws slaps his hand against the ground and stuff but yeah i I think like frankie probably paid some of the like one of the high i don't don't know how to say this but like frankie paid a, a a pretty dear price for for his gnarliness you know what i mean ultimately like yes he, yeah. he went he yeah. went down and uh many others came after him and followed in his footsteps i never thought frankie got the due that he was deserved for for a lot of what he did and for the the fact that he literally he gave it all for skateboarding and it took it so yeah no i i agree one thing i wanted to mention too about this part frankie's got some movie clips spliced in here too and i actually reached out to him to see if he could tell me what movies they were and he couldn't remember any of them there's like <laughs> there's the like the boxer clip and the the dog boy clip and uh this guy saying like giggles of good cheer or whatever it looks like he's in a prison cell or something and i was just like what are these movies and i so i asked him and he said he couldn't remember yeah those chosen were those chosen by frankie or was that just stuff you just sort of found and shoved in there 
No, that that came from Frankie to Todd Hastings. Okay. And, you know, the message was these would be cool to put in. It was like, okay. I mean, I took Frankie to, there was, there's a YMCA in Westchester uh, close within a mile of the uh, Los Angeles airport, Los Angeles International LAX. And that's where the audition for uh, Hook took place. And the, you know, the people that were casting for Hook were looking for specific characters that could put on costumes and then do these, you know, do specific maneuvers. And, you know, Frank got out of the van and we I found the location manager and I said, you know, this is Frankie and he's one of our premier skateboarders. And, you know, we had had lots of communication before with the production company before we showed up and he went out. Um, on the mini ramp and just killed it. And they, I mean, they essentially hired him on the spot. They didn't make a commitment on the spot, but within three or four days, they did offer him a contract. And, you know, he was, he was a major part of that whole sequencing. And, you know, that led to all sorts. I mean, that film really helped create, you know, Tony's uh, video game because all of the technology that went into filming that and putting you know the skaters on branches of trees and doing maneuvers you know that didn't have anything to do literally with skateboarding but more with the uh, maneuvering you know around the you know the set if you will and that was what you know that technology was what ended up they ended up using for you know electrovision and, and, the, and tony's game so frankie was part of all of that and it was you know, it was, there was serious money involved and clearly these other Hollywood sort of vignettes came out of that experience. He doesn't remember, nor do I, but I, I know that those clips. <laughs> <laughs> <Hastings>. <laughs> Frankie said he had a lot of, he used to have a lot of VHS movies and he doesn't have them anymore. He's like, if I still had them, I could go look, you know, yeah. he's just like, couldn't remember i was like dude you can't even remember one i was just fascinated by this dog boy movie this guy getting prodded with a stick like like he's playing football or something well you know there was you know there was a lot of uh what would you call it um investigation of herbs that were taking place in frank's world okay there was a lot of sampling of different you know uh herbal remedies and you know things that could be consumed and they were consumed (laughs) <laughs> and, and a lot of that had to do with avoiding pain and, you know, getting to a certain elevated level of uh, excitement and, and daring do. And that was, you know, that was part of the culture at that point. Lots of skate zone footage here. I'm saying that with a straight face. Yeah. <laughs> do you ever talk to Frankie these days? You guys still in touch? Yeah. 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 I mean, through social media quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it's funny because like Caballero, I mean, he's, you know, he's running his own business now mm-hmm. and, you know, he's having decks printed. He's having shirts printed. He's, he's got a working relationship with the people at Powell. Yeah. You know, and yeah. they generate, you know, a, a number of decks for him Yeah, and he ships them direct and he sells them anywhere from like 75 to 90 bucks and he signs them and Every once in a while, he has a package with uh, a, you know, a frame grab or a still photo. He, his daughter is even helping him sometimes on the, as a little spokesperson, you know, as a, I think she's like nine or 10 years old. And, oh, that's cool. Know, she contributes to his video messages. 
Nice. So he's he lives in he lives in Ventura now. Well, I know the bulldog is a is a favorite of many people. I know a lot of people that loved that board yeah. when it came out. It was it was a real game changer. That was a uh, that was one I was really excited for. Because after ban this, I was like, sign me up for this. Yeah. For yeah. this dude, man. Yeah. So yeah. Frankie still killing it in 92. Lots of skate zone footage. I noticed the skate zone has like a new kind of handrail, longer, more not as steep handrail at this at this point. It's not like the double coping, like yeah, that's short, right. it was steeper. extended for yeah, it was like a longer, more mellow thing looks pretty cool yeah and he's doing all kinds of like sliding and flipping the board off of it in all different kinds of ways it's like really crazy yeah and it's funny because that you know that was known as the fun box and the changes to the fun box what happened was that extension that rail extension uh probably too close to the drop-in ramp that people were dropping in going in the opposite direction and part of the reason that the original handrail was so steep was that you know, the, the fun box was in line with the pyramid. And, mm-hmm. and so it, they kind of jammed up on each other. And some people like Frankie could go over the pyramid, kick flip, do something uh, off the hip of the pyramid and then end up on the fun box and then go down the handrail. And that's where the handrail got extended. It was like, okay, wait a minute. This could, this could be a real usable thing rather than just a thought. And that's where it got longer. And it got to the point where it was maybe eight or 10 feet from the end of the run, so to speak. So Yeah, it looked like you would land and have to instantly go up that quarter pipe instantly. right there or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think like the uh, the skate zone is probably responsible for some of the most, you know, the most incredible progression of that time. You know, you could tell the some, certain guys like Frankie just owned that place. I don't know how yeah. often he was there, but it had to be a lot. And uh, just to have a place like that indoors with that much, you know, that many variables and different obstacles and that vert wall and all that stuff. And just to to be right there in the heart of it all and have a place where like team, you know, not just your team, but like people, just anybody who was around there, they could go skate. It's like, there should almost be like a documentary on the skate zone, you know, the amount of stuff that's gone down there, the contest. Yeah, John, John, Johnny Oliver's working on that. He has been for years. Really? His yeah, father has the the book about yeah. how they build all that. Yeah, you know there were you know uh, you know Stesic and I have talked about you know his point was that the skate zone saved skateboarding. I mean, with without the skate zone, there would you know that whole era from maybe ninety to ninety five or even um, you know ninety one. You know it, it because it inspired so many people through video through through you know still shots. Uh, and through contests and different events. I mean, there, Craig and I, we, we were driving. We, we left one day. I don't know where we were going. It was probably to drive too fast somewhere. And there was a 16-wheeler parked out of Mopatera. And we, we noticed these two kids were skateboarding around this truck. And it had Virginia license plates on it. And the back of the truck was open and it was empty. So we pulled over to the side of the road and we said, hey, what are you guys doing? And they said, oh, well, we've come to skate, you know, skate in the skate zone and uh, it's not open yet. And, you know, so at a certain point there were posted hours and I think we were, 
you know, during the week, we, I think it was open for, it was like an after school thing. It wasn't open during the day, except for employees and quote unquote guests. So these kids had convinced their dad who had a trucking company to go with him on a load that went to LA. So he drove from Virginia to LA with a load unloaded in Los Angeles, drove up to Santa Barbara and was parked out on the street about a quarter of a mile down the street from the entrance to the skate zone and they said yeah we're just waiting for it to open and i said well fuck that. come on we'll take you down there oh, so wow. we took these kids they they had the skate zone by themselves for like two hours oh wow the, i mean the dad had tears in his eyes how happy he was that his boy and his boy's best friend could have this experience and then the skate zone opened and i i'm pretty sure that frankie was there i mean there were Mike Santa Rosa was there on a daily basis. Frankie was there almost every day, yeah. um, you know, and then Nottis and, you know, people, you know, Tony Hawk would randomly show up and he would compress different things, you know, the questions or different things that maybe needed to be done or design, uh, you know, and then so he and Ray Underhill would show up. And so it was, it was a mecca of sorts in terms of this magnetic force of bringing people to that place and you're right man i mean it was it there was a lot of uh spontaneity and a little bit of planning and it made for an ideal scenario just being indoors well ventilated uh good sound system and then excellent elements yeah yeah for sure yeah i love some skate zone footage man yeah i could watch skate zone footage all day that was you know you'd see that as a kid and just be like yeah, you know, because even then, even back then, I mean, it was like there was nothing, yeah. like you know, no parks, no nothing. You'd have like a bank to curb or something like that. Right. And that was it. Being in the right. Midwest, and you look at that, and you're like, oh my god, like look at that place. You can just go there, you know. Well, like, you and that's just... the other part of it is that, <laughs> you know, when um, I started going to the Chamber of Commerce meetings, and we ended up having they had this business to business thing, you know, the B two B. And so I hosted a chamber of commerce meeting out there and I had like, um, I'm probably 30 suits, um, guys, you know, business community, whatever, insurance, doctors, whatever, professionals, and then probably half a dozen women, also professionals. And there was no seating area. There were no bleachers. So we were all walking around and there were probably five or six kids skating and it just blew their minds. They couldn't believe it. All of these professional people. And they recognized it like, you know, it was like Pinocchio or something. The bad boys were in their clubhouse and and they were able to like enjoy themselves and entertain themselves. And that mood then carried me back to the city council and the parks and recreation department. And that's where all of the momentum for public skate parks came from their support. In other words, they realized that kids were happy in the skate zone. Why yeah. not give make this available to every kid? And yeah. that was really that was the momentum that I took into I ask and the idea of pushing for public skate parks. That's amazing, man. Yeah. I mean, that was the that was the dream back then was just to have any anything like that. And it's so yeah. cool now to see how much that's sort of proliferated into like yeah. you know, you can kind of almost go to like any small town and there's gonna be some. Might not be something yeah. great, but it'll be a, there'll be a slab of concrete with a yeah. quarter pipe. And, you know, there is something for a kid who skates to do almost everywhere. Like in St. Louis yeah. alone. I mean, geez, I don't even know. There's 
12, 13, 15. I don't even know. They're everywhere. Really? Wow. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, not in St. Louis yeah. city, but in the greater Metro area, like yeah. in some of the suburban areas and stuff, but it's so cool that, and it's true, you know, it's like, and we used to make, we used to try to make that point all the time. Like we, we, every time we go somewhere, we get kicked out and there was only so many places we could go because we lived out in the suburbs and, you know, so you'd have to skate to the bank parking lot or skank, skate to the whatever, you know what I mean? Wherever you could get to a gas station, you'd always get kicked out of church. You could always get kicked out and it's true. And, you know, you go like build us a place to skate and, and, you know, there's all this, you know, back then it was all like everything skate skaters were punks and they were troublemakers and hoodlums and shit. And it's like, you guys just don't get it. You know, like (laughs) by and large, that is not true. And, and, and places like that, you know, they, they don't, you know, they don't breed bad kids and, and vandalism and, you know what I mean? It just, it breeds like a sense of like, yeah, you know, positivity, like what you, like what your guests saw, you know, it's like, they couldn't believe their eyes. There was all this amazing stuff happening and all these happy kids and all this stuff going off. And they're like, oh, this yeah. is actually cool. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's a good thing. I mean, Absolutely. it's fantastic and it's, yeah. it's fantastic for communities and it's, uh, you know, it's a fantastic thing that perception, you know, Paul Schmidt talks about everything's about perception because the perception of skateboarding and skateboarders has essentially in these 30 years and we were just you know there was nothing good about us and and then we became sort of marginally you know uh, just criminals and and then and then slowly you know the perception started to change and the idea that skateboarders could be contributing members of society and culture is like wow what a concept all right, so transitioning out of Frankie's part into Justin Yates's part, um, they're talking about a photograph. Do you know what photo that is? I was trying to trying to figure out what that was. It looks like someone ollieing a big gap or something, and they're kind of freaking out over it. I guess I'd have to look at it again. Okay, Justin I thought it might famous, be. A- you know, he he did a handrail at UCSB that was. I don't know, like three or four miles long. You know, it was just, it was insane. It was, it was a hundred feet long. I, it was 50 feet long. It was really long. And he was, he was pretty much of that herbal research group and kind of fearless and uh, was big. You know, he's, Frankie is not six feet tall. Justin is, you know, six plus and heavy, heavier, heavy boned. And he would do things that were gnarly and, that was part of team Todd. You know, he was definitely part of team, you know, Todd's uh, select group. And he went on to uh, open uh, a retail skate shop in Atascadero, north of Santa Barbara, and ran a really successful skate shop for quite a while. I don't think it's, I don't know that it's still there, but really positive guy, really great, funny, contributing sort of guy to any, to the team, if you will. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't know too much about him. Um, we're kind of entering the, you know, all the pros are up front, and then the ending of the video is all the all the amateurs. But I yeah. think one thing that's like super notable here in Justin's part is he ollies the Frankie Hill gap mm-hmm. from Propaganda, yes. which yeah. is like very very interesting. Yeah. yeah, 
And also at the beginning, he's got that slow-mo. It's like Ollie up 50-50 on the rail and you get like the camera shutter noises. That reminded me of uh, Cab in the Gonzalez pool in Future Primitive. Yeah, that's where right. Where he's like hanging on the slide and Stesic shooting all those photos. Yeah. Probably, I don't even know if that was intentional or not, but it, it felt like a little bit of a throwback kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, there he does a super long handrail is that the one you're talking about in this video? Yeah, he pushes for like a pushes, minute. <laughs> yeah, dude, his push yeah. is like five yeah. minutes long. Yeah. Yeah, I could have trimmed that a little bit, but no, the, no. The idea was momentum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, that's just outside the the Thunderdome at, at UCSB. Mm. And talking about getting chased. I mean, that was the thing is that skateboarding had been part of UCSB's culture for a long time. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody got hurt or I think a dean or a professor, somebody got ran into by a skateboarder because ah. students skateboarded all over the campus for years. And then all of a sudden skateboarding was banned. And I think it was 89 or 90. And so that all of those sequences with Frankie, I mean, that was all done under the pressure of security guards showing up sure. and grabbing boards and driving away with them and stuff. And it was just... So that, and, and I can remember in that sequence, that was, a, we were really close to the, it's the arena for volleyball and basketball mm -hmm. and the gauchos and uh, it's called the Thunderdome. And so there were security guys in that building all the time. And then yeah. they were, they would hear the clackety clackety clack <laughs> of skateboarding and then they'd yeah. open the doors and, and they'd, they'd have us. Sure. You, and you know, you knew you had like one or two tries and then you were, yeah, they're on exactly your way. Right yeah so then pretty much from here on out in the video we're just getting hit with a ton of new guys that we haven't seen yet and names we don't recognize and i'm not sure if we see them in the next video or not but here we get brandon novak in his kind of debut part and he's one of bucky's guys that i'm guessing bucky kind of brought him into the fold yeah and i crack up at his ear piercing uh thing here because <laughs> for a second he's like oh it's not that bad and then like a 10 <laughs> seconds later it's like it's really wants bad to cry. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I don't want to look at it. It looks like he's going to cry or something. Oh yeah. You also have, um, that, uh, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I, this has escaped me. I don't know if this image appeared on something, but you had, there's like a sign like on a, on a, that looks like the Miller high life logo, but it's Powell, oh, Powell low, life. low life. Yeah. Yeah. Was that, did that was that like a t-shirt with, did that make it onto something? Was that something that was just a one-off? Like, I don't remember seeing that, but yeah, no, it was, it was, it was in the product line for a while. We, was it? I have no so, memory of Yeah, that. so Low Life was kind of our, you know, dealer only, you know, zine, if you will. Really? And yeah, it was black and white mainly. And sometimes we'd throw in some color. Um, John Lytle and I put that together. And, you know, we tried to have a little bit of sophistication in it. And it, at one point I said, well, why don't we just, let's just put in advertisers that, we'd like to have in our zine and he was really reluctant to do it but ultimately we did it um powell lowlife was um that was something that he created hmm. um and but then i you know i think we ended up with calvin klein i don't know i'd have to go through my box and find there was only like four or five issues and okay. they were included we didn't send them necessarily to retailers. We just included them in deck boxes and oh, we okay. throw like tw 25 of them in a deck box. 
and there was very, you know, I, I always tried to have some sort of editorial that made some sense and was somewhat intelligent, I guess. And then, um, you know, we ha- I think we had Kara Beth Burnside on the cover for one. Okay. Um, yeah, so Powell Low Life, that was definitely a, a takeoff on the Miller High Life. Yeah, and so that, it, was, was, it was that sort of image. And I, no, I was going to say, so this was like a dealer facing zine, like it wasn't consumer facing. It was supposed to be like something for the dealers to, is that what you were saying? Yeah. And then it, it, in, in theory, they would, they would pass it out. Oh, uh, okay. They would, okay. They, they would, you know, distribute it, you know, they put it on the counter and it was supposed to be free. Okay. And I think we, I think we heard that some dealer was trying to sell them for a buck a piece and then <laughs> gave up and didn't do it and gave them away. And it, you know, it didn't really, I think it was sort of, I think that's right around the time frame when Thrasher came out with Slap mm-hmm. and they were just getting Slap started and we were trying to get something. And, and then at the same time, Stesic and I had proposed to George and we were working on it with Sherman as one of our cameramen. So Steve and I were the cameramen and we were trying to do a video magazine. And we went to San Francisco. We started interviewing people. We started traveling around California. And it was weird because about three months later is when 411 Video Mag, 411 VM started, released their first videotape. And Craig and I looked at each other and realized, oh, this was a really good idea. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Slightly too late for that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were... You know, I mean, in truth, we were like 90 days behind that curve. Well, dude, I mean, that you know, that back then was like manna from heaven, you know? Yeah. You know, it was like any, because, you know, we talk about it all the time, but like any new, any kind of footage you could get, it was like skate TV, like when skate TV came out, it was like, you know, on one hand, you're like, okay, this is a little corny, you know, it's like, obviously it's Nickelodeon but you're still just stoked because it's like something you haven't yeah. seen already a million yeah. times. You know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that was sort of, you know, going back to, to your thought, Larry, the, I, the, all of a sudden, you know, here are all these skaters, you know, at toward the end, if you will, of chaos that nobody had heard of. And we were, it's like, here you go. Look at this. Here you go. Look at this guy. Here you go. Look at this, look at this, look at this. And it was like, the skating is valid, but the, you know, it's like a unknown. I mean, Brandon Novak, yeah. you know, but he was hot. So also have Giorgio Zatoni, European guy. Yeah. Did he have more success? Cause he then, you know, since maybe like ban this or propaganda, we're seeing, you know, some European sponsored Powell Peralta skaters. Did he go farther because he came to America? Then, I think and, so. And the other guys didn't. Yeah. So, cause he's like, yeah. you know, for, you know, in later videos, you know, he had pro model, the whole thing. And he was like the, I guess Nikki Guerrero did too, but yeah. like a lot of the other guys that we see here, like uh, Tommy Tominen and some of these guys that have been kicking around in a few videos, I guess they just didn't come to America to try to make it all work, I guess. Well, but yeah, but Giorgio showed up, um, you know, it was like, there was always an open door invitation to anybody, mm-hmm. anytime come, you know, we got the skate zone, come Giorgio shows up and he's, He's the most personal kid, you know, ever. I mean, he's, you know, he's Italian, he's early, and he's just infectious, you know, and all the chicks are like, who is that? You know? <laughs> I mean, he just, 
he showed up with such enthusiasm. It was like, okay, you know, this guy's fantastic. And he is. He's still that way. You know, yeah, because he's, he's back on even their kind of legend. And uh... gnarly. Yeah, there's a natural tendency to promote and involve him in everything because he's so enjoyable to be with. So at this point in the game, Powell, Europe, like the European division of Powell is more or less not a thing anymore. Yeah, because if you look at the reality of what was happening, so I think there were 25,000, you know, decks that were old, that were probably three or four years old, extra tough, bonite, yeah. sitting in the warehouse that Frank Messman was in charge of in Amsterdam, you know, trying to sell off these decks that nobody wanted to buy. And it was like, oh, Let's dump them on Europe. Those kids don't know what's happening. We can sell them there, right? You know, those kids were as sophisticated. I mean, there was a point in time in 87 and 88, maybe, where the the, the kids, you know, life's a beach was really big, you know, and so kids were in seeking an identity and seeking a counterculture. You know, they ended up wearing life's a beach because that was what was available in the stores, you know, and they were buying any deck that was in the shop and they were paying as much as a hundred dollars for a deck you know and they were yeah. dedicated and devoted but the backside of it was is they got educated real quickly because the world tour exposed them to world-class skateboarding and they realized wait that those decks aren't the ones that they're selling us in the shop they're selling us something else and so by 90 91 and 92 those decks and those are the decks that ended up going from amsterdam to china and the, they were the ones that were, and who knows what happened to those They'll decks. All drip, yeah, they could into still the be in the market. warehouse in yeah. China. Yeah, so, who knows? It's crazy. I remember I mean, seeing, George, I, I was going to say, I remember seeing something. I think it was an ad. God, Larry, you're going to have to rem- remind me where I saw this. But there was like an ad for a Powell warehouse sale in Santa Barbara. And it was yeah. all blems and, you know, and this was sometime in the, in, the early 90s and it was like you know tony hawk bottlenose you know 9.99 lance mountains you know like just liquidating you know yeah. stuff that they like that was ten dollar still... decks and stuff yeah. oh you know and you're looking at it now and you're just like oh it's a like, million dollars i could retire on you know uh, a two thousand dollar investment <laughs> yeah. if i if i could go back in time you know it's amazing yeah. how that stuff comes full circle. Like now, yeah. nowadays, you know, you got people that will buy, you know, they'll pay $500 for a chipped up old Lance Mountain deck, you know? Yeah. Okay. So Matt, I have to say that, you know, how do I feel? I mean, I, I remember those sales because I helped yeah. advertise them. I helped organize them. I helped promote them and I didn't take advantage of them any way, shape or form. I, yeah. It was like, yeah. This was stuff we were just trying to get out of the building. Isn't that crazy? And it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you probably could have just taken whatever you wanted. I mean, you know. I could have. Yeah. <laughs> I, could have. I, I could have taken anything I wanted for free. I mean, it, yeah. You know, it was just, I mean, they were literally stacked up. There was no inventory control whatsoever. Insane, man. God, that's so crazy. So crazy. Well, hey. Hindsight, baby. Hindsight, you know. And meanwhile, I'm like, oh, Powell has a sale like 50 bucks <laughs> for like a re- well under reissue. Yeah. I'm going to buy one. Yeah. Cause I'm that guy. That's right. <laughs> All right. So we're pretty much 
assaulted with some quick uh, i mean this whole ending part is maybe like a almost like a montage so i'm going to name off a bunch of names and and jim and maybe you can kind of tell us how they came in or came out so is it tommy tominin nikki guerrero yeah. jan matt how do you say that gentleman's jan name? waga yeah yeah and he has a mini like skating this bowl he has like the most insane run like of all time and then lauren manzer brett pyatt Bert Bradlow, which I thought was pretty interesting. He's skating at the the World Industries skate park. He's also skating to a Harry Belafonte song who just passed away last week. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Fortune, who I recognize him. He's in the next few videos as well. Jeff Taylor, who we know had a uh, still does, works in the industry for a lot of, sh- has worked for a lot of shoe brands. Uh, Greg Gardner and Jason Phillips. I know there's a lot of names there. So are they all just like flow kids or are they considered amateur or? Well, I don't, you know, the amateur team had sort of dissolved. I mean, the quartermaster cup, you know, Sonia Catalano and the castle series had really sort of diminished. There wasn't a strong amateur um, presence anymore. And, you know, the trend seemed to be that anybody who wanted to be a pro could say, Oh, I'm a pro. And then they would, you know, they would be a pro and they could enter a contest and would they get a deck and there was this, um, would they get product? And I think most of those European guys, I think we're getting to the point where Frank Messman became the manager, the European manager for Powell Peralta. And he had this, he ended up opening up this warehouse and that might've been a little bit later in 92, 93. And that was because Frank was another one of these freestylers. Um, And, you know, he convinced George that if they wanted to capture the European market, they needed local skaters to be able to impress everybody. And that was where a lot of those European guys came from at at Frank's recommendation. And maybe a little bit from Para too, but not so much. I think it was much more Frank. And then, um, yeah. And then Jeff Taylor, um, I think he works for, one of the bicycle companies or something, but yeah, he's done a lot. I mean, Jeff was the, I think he was like, he could have been the last North American amateur skateboarding champion, right? When the NSA. Oh, before they I mean, disbanded that series. Yeah. yeah, And and that, I think that was in Houston or something. I mean, he was a hell of a skater and, and you know, a charming guy, a really good guy and handsome. And, you know, he, he had potential as far as a pro skater, but he got sidetracked. Yeah, Jeff looks like he's got a lot of yeah. skate park of Houston footage. So I'm guessing he's from Houston, yeah. Texas. I didn't know too much about his background. Something that caught me too about Jeff Taylor's party skating to Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morrison. Is this like a weird mix or a different version I'm not familiar with? Because there's like, it's all vocals and guitar. There's like no bass or drums going on. It's like really, it's, I don't know, just something that caught my attention. <laughs> um, it might have just been a weird one. Yeah. Yeah. That was Something just the only one. Actually, that was the only one you were able to license. For those. Yes, that's, that's probably yeah. it. That's what it was. Yeah, and we we couldn't Super get the rights from the bass player, so we, right. we ran it with that. Just <laughs> pulled them out of the mix. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then, kind of ending the video is Kit Erickson, who has sadly passed away, but he was a Santa Barbara guy. Most people know him from H Street, and then he transitioned to Life Skateboards. And I thought it yeah. was really weird that he ended up on Powell. Definitely. Yeah. That was a team Todd thing. And he was, he was really tight with Todd 
And, you know, he was kind of aloof to the rest of the company. You know, he wasn't, I mean, to compare him to Giorgio, Giorgio walked in, you know, it's like, hey, George, you know, thank you so much. Kit was like a wallflower. You know, he was very removed from um, contacting anybody in the company. I mean, he knew who I was. He didn't much care. You know, he had incredible feet. His feet reminded me of Pat Brennan. You know, he, he had really uh, dexterous, great dexterity with his feet in terms of late tricks and uh, maneuvers. Uh, he stood very straight when he skated and, and he was fearless. And some of that may have been from some of that herbal research. I don't know. <laughs> Seems to be a lot of that in Santa Barbara for some reason. <laughs> there was, there, it was definitely a thing. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's in terms of Santa Barbara currently, you know, it's replaced avocados and tomatoes as the number one, you know, cash crop. Interesting. Sure. But all that stuff is legal now. Yes. Yes. And so is skateboarding in many places. That's right. That's right. So then we've got a little bit of Bill Door footage at the skate zone, which was surprising <laughs> to see and rewatching this. Which was, he says he's 67. And I know the previous episode, we kind of talked about, oh, everyone's in their 60s now and still skating. Yeah. You know, which doesn't seem that far-fetched. But back then, seeing a 67-year-old skateboarder was mind-blowing. Yeah. And he, you know, he he did a good thing. You know, he he really encouraged kids in LA and his neighborhood and he would bring kids up to the skate zone all the time. You know, he'd bring five or six kids with him. Um, you know, he was, he really nurtured a very positive vibe and he was really fun to be around. And I think we, you know, the decision to include him was just because he was doing a good thing and it was, you know, it was, it was infectious and, and was like, okay, you know, I mean, his, his sequence, he would strap on pads and put on a helmet and he had elbow pads and knee pads and he'd go out there and he'd bail and hurt himself and get up and laugh. And, you know, he was, I don't know, he was, he was a wonderful presence. That's awesome. In the ending montage, there's a little bit of the audio drops out. Is that because I know sometimes YouTube will can sometimes block certain songs. Matt, did you notice that? How there's like a little bit? Yeah. yeah I thought that might yeah. have been like a YouTube, like, I don't, I don't remember that that was a conscious choice. In other words, I, it might've been. Yeah. I think um, it was just a YouTube thing. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember doing that. And then there's uh, some footage of, from Russia that Mickey Vukovic filmed. Yeah. How did yeah. Uh, that come to be? Are those just some footage he had or captured or is there, was there you know, he had, a he Powell connection time. there? Yeah. He, he traveled to Russia and he, you know, he helped, there was a whole skateboarding club in Mos Moscow mm -hmm. and he brought back, I still have some of the trinkets that he brought back for me. And he, you know, he, his Russian has improved quite a bit. His father, uh, his brothers, his family, I mean, they, and he still maintains a lot of, uh, you know, relationships with people in the skate community in Moscow and other parts of Russia. And it was just like, Oh yeah, sure. Let's, Let's throw that in there. You know, it was like, yeah, this is good. So, and then it looks like there's some skate zone events. There's like, like a, a Halloween, Halloween party. jam or something. Yeah. 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 That looked like that, fun. That, yeah, that was good. And what is the uh, G13 graffiti? Is that uh, a graffiti artist? There's like a, it's like starts on some, some dog feces and like shows <laughs> one of the low life magazines and the dirt. And then it pulls back to G13. 
Yeah, it's like wannabe gangsters, you know. I mean, you know, and and the truth is, is that, you know, there are gangsters now in Santa Barbara. I think then it was a very minimal presence, and it was just like a wannabe thing. And um, the sad thing is that uh, Oxnard and Ventura, places fifty miles south of Santa Barbara, were infected by the valley and the outreaches of Los Angeles, and the whole gangsta mentality uh, was, you know, street mentality, and it sort of infected its way into this insidious sort of way into Santa Barbara, and then there, you know, so Goleta Thirteen became this thing, and was like. You know, it was probably a dozen young kids who were just like, yeah, we're G13. Yeah, what are you going to do about it? And and now it's a real thing. And ultimately, you know, at the high school where Frankie ollied that gap, Dos, you know, at Dos Bubbles High School, there was a couple years after we did this video, uh, there was a drive-by gang shooting. And, you know, wow. somebody was killed uh, in, the, in the parking lot of the high school. So the times caught up with Goleta. Wow. Hmm. There you go. And then we're also graced with a TV smashing, but this looks like it's pulled from a horror movie. Like someone sticks like a pitchfork or something into the TV and there's like a scream. And I was trying yeah, that, to figure out where that was pulled from. I actually even, I have a couple of friends that are like horror movie buffs and I was trying to quiz them and they, they didn't know. Do you remember where that, that came from? No, I oh, could. Geez. Well, I mean, what I, we, we, <laughs> we pulled it from somewhere. I'm not sure. It might have come from Dennis. It's not something that we shot. Like in, yeah, I can in the tell other videos, like from a movie. Yeah. We, we always blew up our own televisions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was not something that we did. It was pulled from somewhere, and it may have come from Dennis. And then we get the closing credits. Steve Caballero's band Shovelhead is playing, and it's 1992. And man, you can tell just grunge is in effect here. This oh. guy, the singer guy, he's just like he's got the look for <laughs> sure. Yeah. But yeah. uh, also, I like yeah, to that's see, funny. yeah, Stacy Peralta's thanked in the credits. This is pretty cool to see. And then we end with uh, Cape Fear at the end. Pretty intense scene. <laughs> <laughs> Holy license! But here's something wild we need to discuss. This will be the last thing here. So we've discovered a couple nights ago. I was watching this on YouTube getting ready for the first episode and i noticed it's like wow this video has quite a bit of comments let me see what the kids are saying and this one comment and that i perused let me find it here damien says dude my copy is so different from this one in mine eric ricks is the opener bucky's part is longer lance's part is different frankie had a different song mike frazier had a part Jeff Taylor is after the credits and had way more footage. So someone's got some weird, rough cut, different cut. You, any, any idea? Jim's shaking his head. No, no, I have no, I, I mean that, I mean, I, there was, I mean, if we go back to hot batch, hot batch, I know I cut together like two or three versions and one version was buried. I mean, it never saw the light of day. Um, I mean, I know that I created one version. There was never so. If somebody else, after the fact, I, I that's inexplicable to me. I don't know how that would have happened. Well, yeah. we ran into this with with uh, eight eight, where we have the regular version that everyone knows. Yeah, and then there was another version that made it out that has a whole bunch of parts. 
that were yeah. not in the final cut. There was a Sean Mortimer segment. There was Mike Dare. Ray Barbie. So Ray Barbie had a part in this mystery version of eight. We, you know, and we were, you know, we were just puzzling over how, you know, how does that happen? And, you know, we had, a, we had a whole bunch of theories, but ultimately we never really came to a firm conclusion other than there was probably, uh, you know, some sort of alternate mix of the video that was maybe Somehow produced in smaller numbers, sent to a duplication facility, maybe like, who knows, you know, but it, it definitely uh, did happen, you know, with that video. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's fascinating to think about how that would have happened. So there, you know, George, at one point when we moved out from downtown Santa Barbara to Goleta, and we had the video editing suite, which was actually next to on the opposite wall of the skate zone, which really kind of stood by itself in the building. The building was enormous. You know, there was like 25,000 square feet. It's a really big place. And George had in mind that, you know, everybody would have um, a lanyard and you'd have your ID card and then a barcode on it. And you'd walk up to the door and that would give you access to this and you could go into the building and then you could if you were the right person you could get access to the lamination area where the decks were laminated and then you could go into the wheel so there are all of these separate bays and one of them was uh, research and development with chris iverson and then one of them was the skate zone so that people were authorized to go into the skate zone and then you could go into the video none of that ever worked so the system was in place but it didn't work because people would leave their card behind. I mean, plus the barcode, you know, never worked successfully. So, you know, sitting here right now, sitting in Austin, Texas, 30 years later, I guess it's possible that somebody went into the edit bay. The edit bay was um, all really old uh, technology. And then it ended up being computer based with a playback and an input and you know it wasn't it, the simplicity of the technology was you know i don't know i i guess somebody could have literally gone into where i was working they wouldn't have been able to go to the the production facility to create a master tape to take to a duplicator they could have taken and created their because we we went to a production facility to create our master tapes and then those are the tapes that we took to the duplicators down in the san fernando valley so uh, i don't know i mean i i don't know what this guy's talking about in terms of a different version of chaos okay which is interesting kind yeah. of funny if you think about it because i had <laughs> when we posted part one today a gentleman commented He's like, I would like to know what's up with the different versions of this video. And I said, we're going to talk about that in part two. And then he came back with another one. He says, just some copies have an Eric Rick parts as the opener. And most other copies have the Wade Spire opener. So I actually asked yeah. Eric Ricks how he, he has his part on his YouTube channel. And I wrote to him to see uh why that was pulled and I, i'll read you his uh his response he says long story short todd hastings the team manager at the time kicked me off when the video was pretty much done since i had the opener they just cut my part out if you want the details get at me 
So I guess something happened there where Todd kicked him off and then uh, he got cut from the video. Yeah, but but there's no way that that part would have, you know, stayed around and ended up in a finished version of the video. I mean, that's that doesn't make any sense. I know it's weird. So, yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's possible that, you know, sabotaged or in, in the chaos theory that somebody, <laughs> you know, quote unquote went in and you know created a different version i i but it wasn't me i was I, I stand by the version that uh ended up in store i always wondered if it was like a you know if we we call okay. it a... okay so are we do you have to go yeah i'm pretty much okay all right no cool worries. let's just let's all right wrap it real quick jim has to go we we thank you so much for your time you've you've given us so much of your time Jim, you are the greatest. Um, yes. And I want to note well, to all the listeners that Jim is repping Paul Peralta as we speak. He is wearing a skull and sword t-shirt. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So he's still flying the colors. <laughs> and would you be able to join us for one more video when we do play? Because that was your, your project yeah. as well when we get to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll yeah. figure that out. We're going to have some other stuff between chaos and play. So we, you've got a little bit. We won't, we won't hound you for a little while. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. Jim Fitzpatrick, everybody. All right. Wow. We lost Jim there. Kind of an abrupt departure from Jim, but that's okay. He's He's got limited time and he's getting pulled in every direction. So it's all good. We thank you for your time, Jim. We really do, man. The yeah, amount of time he has spent sitting here with us chatting about stuff is unreal. Yeah. I mean, really. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank it's you. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Jim. All right. I guess, Matt, it's that time. And now, the Bones Brigade Audio Show Mailbag. All right. So we got a really cool one to kick off the mailbag this week. We have Greg Gardner. and he oh, that, writes, name, that name sounds familiar. Sounds familiar, yeah. yeah. Hello, all. I really enjoy your show. I just started listening to your podcast about chaos, which I appear in as a waifish 13-year-old doing a short string of poorly executed moves while wearing some unsightly trousers, <laughs> trousers. that were too big, even for my father. That's par for the course for this yeah, video, for as that. we know. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, I'm wondering if Jim Fitzpatrick might know who it was that filmed me in the parking garage. I remember that Wade Spire asked me to meet him to film something after I got out of school. I remember only having a few minutes to film. I did the line that was in the video where I waved to Wade just before I allied up the curb, and I think I filmed another line with a switch manual that was not used. I remember feeling intimidated while filming and ultimately embarrassed by my footage. However, I felt truly honored to be included in a Paul video. I have attached a letter that I got from Jim Fitzpatrick in 1992 when he sent me some Paul product at Wade's request. Thanks, Wade. I think they sent me the Wade Slayer board and a purple shirt to match. Later, I think I got a letter from George Powell welcoming me to the Bones Brigade. I sadly do not have that letter. Listen, oh. to this. Listen to this, Larry. My mom used the back of that letter from Jim Fitzpatrick as scratch paper for taking phone messages. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, that That's was crazy. Greg Gardner. And wow. Greg, thank you so much, Greg. Dude, yeah. Thank you. We'll post That's some that great picture. info. Yeah, I have. We have the uh, the letter. Yeah. yeah. Sent that letter uh, from Jim. So we'll, we'll post that on the Instagram uh, once this episode comes out obviously you'll if you're listening to this you'll yeah. so uh that's really funny that's really cool man i mean that's like uh 
You know what? There's nothing to be ashamed of, dude. You made it into a Powell video, whether or not you think your line was sketchy or whatever. Like, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And also, you never know who's listening to the show. You know, it's crazy. You never know, dude. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's crazy stuff. Yeah. Amazing. So, I'm glad. I love it when people reach out. It's awesome. So thank you, Greg. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. Know. Hopefully uh, you're still out there ripping. Yeah. Let's keep in hopefully touch. Your, hopefully your pants have <laughs> a little more stylish. Maybe going down a couple waist sizes or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and then we have our old friend. Man, this one's packed, packed with good friends of the show. Awesome. Peter McEwen, our good friend Peter McEwen. Oh, we love Peter. We love him. And uh, Peter writes, "I can't confirm that the Tony Hawk song in public domain was a Bad Brains knockoff, but I against I was definitely in the rotation at the office during that time. So." Mm. so this is in that regard to the uh to the video tunes episode mm -hmm. yeah and the song lens, house of suffering from of bad suffering. brains eye against eye album okay yeah so, so they that, were cranking that lends it. some credibility to the uh to that the uh, theory yeah. theory. yeah yeah love it so then we got our good friend brian farrell and he writes chaos part one was awesome i love hearing the stories fitz has to share can't wait for part two and Thank this you, is, Brian. And yeah, thank you've you. Gotten this far, you've yeah. heard part two. So hopefully yeah. it was just as good. And just a little side note, we did receive another submission for another video tunes episode from a listener. Yeah, that's right. And uh so we're gonna put that in the in a bank. Yeah, I think we're up to three now. We for got the three next more. One. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean a couple more. We could do a five, five yeah, tuner. Yeah. yeah. Six. Yeah, if we're ever in a jam, we'll just bust out. Bust three out of them. another, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Micro video tunes episode. Yeah. So we're gonna call it on the mailbag, but thank you to Brian. Thank you to Peter. Thank you to Greg. Wow, those we are all great ones. It. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So chaos, man. And you know what, Larry? I don't know, man. I, I just had this premonition the other night. Okay. That we're not that we're not done with chaos just yet. Hmm. I have Interesting. this I had this weird feeling, man. We seem to be in an era of troublesome edits. We do. Yeah. <laughs> troublesome edits. So I think we might not we might not be out of the woods on chaos. Okay. Just yet. Just chaos. Yet. Yeah. Wow. We'll see. We'll see we'll what see. the future we'll brings. All right. Thanks again to everyone who wrote in. If you would like to be like these awesome people, and we hope that you would like to be. You can email us, and the easiest way to do that is to go to our website, which is thebonesbrigadeaudioshow.com. Click on our contact page. Just type in your message, hit enter, and we got it instantly. Or just DM us on Instagram and, or any other way you see fit. Yeah, like we always say, if you, if you communicate with us, there's a chance we're just going to read it and pretend that it's part of something you've submitted for the mailbag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So everyone go check out chaos and uh, yeah. write in, let us know what you think. And uh, we'll have those at the end of our next episode. And I think the next episode is going to be a barn burner. It's going to be, I think we're going to blow, blow. I mean, I'm, I know already know my mind's going to be blown. I think yeah. our listeners are going to have their minds blown. It's going to be. A yeah. Good yeah. We got a really, really cool one coming up, man. It's kind of Very like, cool I think of it like the, uh, the information this gentleman has, it's kind of, what the show was created for yes to get this definitely. kind of information yeah yeah let's just say if you liked fits you'll like what we got cooking for the next episode yeah it's gonna be good hopefully we didn't oversell it 
Yeah. I, I'm excited. It's going to be, it's going to be good. It's going to yeah, be good. Yeah. I have no doubt. All right. I think that's it, Matt. Anything else? No, man, that's it. All right. That's we'll it. be back soon with another episode, but until then I'm Larry. I'm Matt reminding you to never stop searching for chin. Have a great night. Drive. Drive on.